I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8 of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and we are talking with Dave Mullins this week. Dave has been hired by the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, the ITA, to come in and I I won't say replace Erica Perkins Jasper, but to step into the role vacated by Erica back in the spring. And Dave is working as, uh, let me just read you his, his title. He is Managing Director of Community Engagement and Coach Empowerment. And in this episode, Dave will explain exactly what that means and what his new role is with the ITA. But know that Dave comes from a college coaching background himself. He played college tennis, came to Fresno State from Ireland to play his college tennis, and then moved into a coaching role after a brief stint in the world of finance. Uh, He realized that tennis coaching was really where his heart was. So he moved back into college coaching. And so to have him now at the ITA with that experience, with that knowledge and with the connections that he has within the college coaching world is super, super valuable. And I'm, I'm just thrilled to see what he's going to bring to the table. He also just completed his master's degree and did a thesis around some research on what qualities do college tennis players who improve the most in college possess? And so in this episode, Dave talks about that research and the findings that came out after his conversations with many college coaches across the men's and the women's side. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dave. Also, just a reminder, if you haven't already, we have a Patreon page and would love to have you join us as a Parenting Aces patron. The link to that is in the show notes on ParentingAces.com, so please have a look. We have different levels of patronage, and those come with different benefits. So if any of that appeals to you, we hope you'll come on board. Uh, as always, if you have questions, if you have concerns, if you have any issues that you would like to discuss with me, any topics that you'd like to see us address on the website or on the podcast, please, please, please reach out to me through our various social media channels. If you're not already, I hope you'll follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. We have so much information that we're pushing out through our various social media outlets and don't want you to miss anything. So check those out. And for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dave Mullins. Dave Mullins, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast again. You have a new role. You are back in the States, and I'd love for you to share with our audience what you're doing with the ITA these days. Hi Lisa. Well, yeah, thanks for having me on again. It's it's funny how uh, life works. Last time we spoke, this wasn't even on the radar. So to be sitting here in Arizona now speaking with you today, several months later, is is a bit of a surprise. But no, the ITA, um, uh, Erica Perkins, who is the CEO of the organization, left um, in May to be an athletic director, and uh, so a position opened up, senior leadership position. So the ITA were weren't exactly sure as to what the role would be named. They came, they left it uh, relatively vague um, because they were trying to find the right person really for for specific uh, uh, roles within the organization. So, um, so I was lucky enough to be hired and, and accept the position. Moved out here August fifth, and um, my title is managing director of coach empowerment and community engagement. So it's been a bit of a mouthful, but really I'll be spending the bulk of my time on trying to build out coach education uh, systems and opportunities for the college coaches at all five divisions uh, in the United States. And also from a community engagement uh, aspect, I'll be working you know, a lot with our, the events that we host in the fall, working with the locations and, and the, the clubs or the facilities that we're using to um, 
to community engagement uh, activities, but also I'm also working on a project right now that would um, see College Tennis be involved in a, a larger kind of national uh, community service um, project that I, I can't give too many details away right now, but I'll definitely discuss more with you as, as we get closer to uh, launching that. And I think it's important to mention the fact that you come from the college coaching world yourself and you have been out there working as a college coach. And so you bring a, sort of an insider's look at this position, I think is, you know, mm. going to be a, you're going to be a great asset in that regard. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a big reason why why I was hired. That I had this combination of experience as a college coach, but also um, in the business world as well, and also um, my master's degree, which are in education and, and uh, sports psychology. So I've kind of uh, a varied array of uh, experiences and education there that that hopefully brings a unique uh, spin to this position. Um, but but yeah, it's it's definitely. Um, no, a, a great opportunity. I'm, I'm thrilled to be back in college tennis. I was 12 years as a college coach, and also my experience as a college coach. I was I was um, a men's coach at, at a mid-major, Division One mid-major at DePaul University in Chicago, and then I was an assistant coach at Northwestern University, and then a head coach on the women's side um, at the University of Oklahoma. So, also my my coaching experience is varied. Now I haven't coached in Division two, three, or NAI or, or, or JUCO, so I'm I'm trying to get up to speed with with those uh, you know the issues that that the coaches at those divisions face. I'm I'm actually speaking with coaches on a daily basis, just trying to learn as much as I can um, because I have a good sense of I guess the I guess the Power Five. You know, being a head coach in Oklahoma, I'm very familiar with you know everything those coaches have those programs and the resources that, that are available to them. But um, for me, it's, it's really learning, well, what, what do the bulk of our membership, what, what are they, um, what, what do they have and, and not have and, and what solutions can we help provide for them? And just to clarify a bit for our listeners, the ITA, the Intercollegiate Tennis Association is a, an association for college coaches themselves. It's it's not an organization that is out there to represent players or universities, but rather the coaches themselves. Is that correct? Yeah, that that's a fair way to put it. I mean, ultimately, we're trying to empower the, the college coaches to be able to provide a, a world-class experience for their student-athletes and, and help them along the way. So, um, I mean, it's, it's different people look at it different ways. And I think with the leadership of, of Tim Russell here the last several years, I think we've been trying to move more towards being the governing body of college tennis, which is a little different than than uh, being just a, a coaches association. So some of the, the projects that Tim is, is trying to tackle and undertake is, is uh, yeah, growing beyond um, being a coaches association that there's a recognition that we can maybe do more maybe in the high school space maybe there's more that we can do to partner with the USTA uh, maybe there's more we can do in kind of the, the community engagement aspect that we talked about so uh, but my role uh, specifically will be on really trying to give more value to the college coaches through building a coach education system that really is specific to their needs because there's lots of coach education out there and there's plenty of videos and books and all the rest of it and, and I'm trying to curate or, or tailor uh, the information that's out there and plus come up with some of my own uh, materials uh, specifically for college tennis coaches. And to be clear, right now there is no specific certification process to become a college tennis coach, right? Correct. There's there's nothing. I mean, really, the the criteria is that you have an undergraduate degree. Um, so there there's no. Um, as long as you have an undergraduate degree, then you you can be a, a college tennis coach. Um, now it depends on the athletic department and athletic director what else they want to see. But no, there's there's no certification process, and and that's one of the things I'm I'm trying to to work through and, and would we partner with uh, maybe the USPTA and PTR and USTA and try and come up with something that is college specific. I'm also looking at maybe 
trying to come up with a, um, a year-long education kind of blended learning opportunity for assistant coaches and first-year head coaches um, that would maybe start and, and end with our um, college coaches convention in, in, in Florida. So there's a lot of ideas that I have. I'm speaking with a lot of people, but um, I do think we need to formalize the process a little bit more. I mean, my my story was, you know, I was I was a, a good college player, but then I went to work in in finance and uh, hated that, but <laughs> moved over to college coaching, and I was just kind of thrown in the deep end as as the head men's coach at the Paul University. Just hey, just uh, go figure it out, kind of thing, and I had nowhere to to turn really and, and look for help um so you know i end up just kind of coaching how i was coached at, uh, as a player at Fresno state which was you know, a great experience for me but i should be able to uh, go and find some uh, basic information whether it's even about recruiting i mean these days with utr and just understanding utr i mean if you're a new coach maybe you've been coaching at a, a country club and you played some college tennis and now you've got this job, um, you know, as a, as a junior college coach, like, you, why would you know where to start with recruiting or how the UTR is relevant, um, how to, you know, uh, enter results onto our, onto our system here at the ITA, things, mm-hmm. basic things like that, that we need to do a better job of, of uh, providing those tools for, for new coaches. And we are seeing a lot of young coaches at the collegiate level right now. And I mean, I'm talking even under 30, you know, and and I mean, it's amazing to me when I meet these men and women and realize how young they are, you know, they're not much older than the players that they're coaching and they haven't been out of school that long themselves. And here they Mm -hmm. are put in this leadership role with very little training, very little guidance, very little oversight, frankly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a college coach, yes, you, you don't have much oversight at all. I mean, you you have an associate AD who's you know probably responsible for tennis and several other sports and several other departments within their athletic uh, department. So maybe you see them a handful of years, you're kind of just left to your own devices and uh, the athletic departments are keeping their finger crossed that you'll you'll figure it out and keep yourself out of trouble so um so no that would be one of my goals is to provide even athletic departments even if it's with just a manual um of of look keep this in your office when you have a new coach arrive give them this manual with um uh, you know everything they need to know to get started and and right. it's something that might sound and and you know coaches at, at the at the you know, the power fives, like I said, who have a ton of experience and, and uh, you know, resources behind them. It might seem very basic to them, but, but for a new coach starting out, like, yeah, we can't assume that they, they know or have access to this information. So we need to make it accessible. I know one of the things that came up when you and Tim kind of headed up a roundtable discussion at uh, the WTCA conference in New York was this whole notion of the NCAA rules and how they change and how there's really no place for people to go to be kept abreast of changes that happen with the NCAA rules, whether it's regarding recruiting or Mm -hmm. eligibility or what have you, and that maybe the ITA could take on that role as a repository of that information. Yeah, I mean, that's in our strategic plan and something that that has to happen. I mean, we we have, you know, a great relationship with the NCAA and, and, uh, you know, one of our staff will probably be on the phone to some other staff member at the NCA, you know, on a weekly basis um, on, on a whole range of topics. So we do have access to kind of what's coming down the road and, and uh, you know, the, the legislative uh, proposals that, that colleges throughout the country are, are putting forward for, for other sports and for tennis. Um, so we we absolutely need to be sharing that information probably with, you know, high school coaches and academy coaches, but just also spreading the word that they, they, you know, individuals, parents, players, coaches know they can come to the ITA website and and easily find that information and, and see what updates and changes are are uh, are happening. Right, and I, you know, for me, it was very eye opening to hear from some of these college coaches that 
they don't even know where to go for the information and they don't always get it in a timely manner and, you know, may be in breach of some of these regulations unknowingly just because Mm -hmm. the information, you know, they, they didn't get it in an email, they didn't get it in any Mm -hmm. kind of a meeting. And all of a sudden they're being told by their compliance department that, oh my gosh, you know, you can't do that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, then the school is forced to self-report the, the breach. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, not just that. I mean, so, so many of the rules are interpreted differently as well. You, you could give the same rule to, to three different athletic uh, compliance officers and they could interpret it three different ways. Right. So it's even even if you know the rule, it's it's understanding how your athletic department interprets that rule. So there's another layer there which uh, makes it more complicated than you would hope it would be. So, yeah, I guess our goal would be to really simplify that for like I said for the new coaches as well coming in understanding which rules they really need to know right out of the gates especially around recruiting so they're not getting themselves in trouble Uh, because again a lot of these uh, athletic departments um, you know they may have one compliance officer who's splitting their time between 14 different sports and um, you know might be in may have just started themselves you know uh, we need to uh, we need to lend a hand where we can Right. I agree. That'd be awesome if y'all do that. I and, and I mean, even as a parent, you know, knowing that you could go to the ITA website and read up on what the current rules are. So when your child is in their junior year of high school and really heavy into the college recruiting process, there's a place to get those rules. And I know, I mean, I guide people to call the NCAA eligibility center and the folks that man the phone lines there are super, super helpful and knowledgeable and more than happy to spend time on the phone with you explaining rules and answering questions. But, you know, it it sure would be nice to just be able to click and get what you need. Right. Right. Specific for tennis. So that's, um, yeah, that's something we will be working on. There is actually, um, I don't know if you know that the USDA had put out a, a guidebook for the college process. I think it hasn't been edited since 2011, so I actually was just uh, was sent a copy of it recently. So I've gone through and started updating. But that's something that between ourselves and the USDA start, uh, you know, hope to start pushing out and, and have access on their website that would have links to everything they need to know. And obviously, if we continue to update it yearly, then uh, when somebody downloads it on, on a yearly basis or when it's relevant to their their son or daughter starting the recruiting process, then if it's up to date, then they'll have all the all the information there. So I'll let you know when when that has been edited and and is released again, and, and where it's available because I think that'll be a, a great resource for parents going forward. Absolutely, and you know, just to put it in perspective, 2011 is the year that I started Parenting Aces. So those of you who have been following for a while, I mean, it's been that long since that book has been updated and the yeah. rules have changed quite a bit over that period of time. So oh, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I thrilled went, to hear that you're doing red that. Pen. Yeah. 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 No, there's, there's a lot of changes that every page I came to, there was, was some change I was making. So it, it has changed. Yeah. Even what is that? Eight years. And it's, yeah. it's, uh, God, there's so many changes. So it's just, yeah, it's vital that that's kept up to date yeah. yearly because, there will be a change every single year. I've no doubt about it. Sure. And, you know, not just updated, but then easily accessible by the people that need to be using it, which is the right. the prospective student athletes and their families. So, yeah, I think that'll be great. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear you're doing that. And we'll absolutely, you know, have a prominent link to that on parentingaces.com for the people that are in that recruiting right time period of their their own little tennis journey so fantastic well you mentioned you mentioned dave that you're working on your master's and you've been working on a thesis which you presented part of it was kind of a quick presentation at the wtca but i would love for you to share the research you're doing and why you're doing it okay yeah i so I actually just submitted it uh, last Friday, so it's, oh, it's congratulations! It's, thank you. It's gone, and it's uh, yeah, definitely a relief. But no, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the process. So, 
Um, the, the title of the thesis was Understanding College Tennis Coaches' Perspectives on the Development of College Tennis Players. So it's a long, a long title, but I was trying to get a sense of why do certain tennis players improve during their college years and why do others plateau or regress? And I was really interested in the players like a lot of players come into college and they're amazing tennis players. They're, they're, they're incredible and they come in, but they don't necessarily improve, but they still have a lot of success. So I wasn't necessarily looking at who's the most successful. I was interested in who is the, who is the uh, boy or girl who comes in as a freshman, maybe is playing seven or eight and, and finishes their career playing one or two, or maybe they came in as a walk-on and finished, you know, finished their career on scholarship playing five with a winning record or something like that. I was just interested in, you know, those big improvements. So my, my own story was that I, I, I kind of started my freshman year in and out of the lineup and, and was struggling to, to win matches. And uh, by my, my senior year as one of the top college players in the country. And, and so there's, kind of like, okay, well, what, what attributes did I possess and what attributes did the individuals that I coached that made similar improvements, what did they possess and how then, you know, is there a way to dissect those attributes and, and share them with people um, so that, that college coaches, um, you know, understand what those attributes are when they're deciding between players of, of similar rankings and results and, okay, what's really important? Like, the, obviously, college coaches want to recruit the players who are going to improve the most during college. They, they want their players to get better for a whole host of reasons. So I went about this um, thesis research. I, I um, gathered 10 coaches, so six coaches of female teams, four coaches of male teams. And these coaches, I think between them, average 21 years head coaching experience. Um, they've won national championships, coach of the year awards, I think between them, they had 56 conference um, titles. So it was a very experienced group uh, of coaches. So I spoke with them for about 45 to 70 minutes and uh, asked them anywhere from about 10 to 15 questions, um, really trying to pull out of them, you know, what are the attributes of those players that improve the most during their college years? So... Um, can I interrupt uh, you one second? Yeah, yeah. So, so your your focus is on the attributes of the players, not the attributes of the coaches that were able to help these players develop. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, I, I just want to make I'm, that make that pretty clear. Yeah, no, definitely one hundred percent on the player. Who, who what what how did these players go about obviously the coach facilitated that and, and allowed um you know create an environment in which these these players thrived but ultimately i believe lisa look it comes down to the player and and i know look uh, i was a coach and and uh and um the coach plays a, an important role in this and and i'll get to that in, in a second but ultimately the, the players it's on the players to to put in the time, put in the work, um, to to make those improvements, and if if they're hanging around waiting for somebody to give them a magic bullet <laughs> as to how to do it, or um, you know hold their hand throughout the process, then then they're not going to improve at, at the rate that um, or, or reach their potential. Um, mm-hmm. I believe. So um, yeah. So basically, through through the the interview, so I kept you know extensive notes as I was as I was going through the interview with the coaches, then I um, transcribed all the interviews. I reread them several times and then I started pulling out themes. And so I ended up with seven themes um, that uh, I'll list now for you. So they were motivation, competitiveness, curiosity, supportive parents, maturity, relationship with the coach and athleticism. So those seven themes there, if these players that, improve the most or develop the most during their college careers um, in these programs. Obviously, the coaches that I interviewed, uh, these were the, the traits or attributes that, that they possessed. So do you want me to dig into any of those a little bit more? Well, I mean, you know the area I want you to dig into. <laughs> you dig into the areas the that you like. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm glad that, that – the parents are are part of the research because I, I you, yeah. know, you know, I think yeah. we are 
play a key role here, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. Course. I mean, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, that that was interesting. So so when I'm when I'm talking about themes, when I'm pulling out themes, I'm trying to predict if I if I interviewed another fifty coaches, you know, these same things would would pop up. So I believe if I interviewed another fifty coaches these things would pop up and supportive parents would absolutely. I mean, I think of the, the 10 coaches I, I interviewed, nine of them mentioned the parents and, and the supportive nature of parents. So some of the, the words around that they, that they used were perspective. Um, they talked about how these parents were almost like the, their unofficial sports psychologist, which I, I really liked, you know, that they were, they were there, they were listening, they were, um, you know, providing some, some kind of insights here or there, but they weren't, um, you know, making them do anything or saying you have to do this. You know, a sports psychologist gives, gives uh, feedback and, and uh, is a listening board and will provide suggestions, but they're not, you know, saying you, you have to do this by next week or I'm not going to be your sports psychologist anymore. So I really like that. They talked about how, you know, at, at the parents really understood, at, at, uh, especially at age 18, that their their son or daughter was, was an adult now and that they're going to college and they need to just completely step back and let this this uh, their, their child uh, fail and succeed on, on their own terms and that they can't be there just to... Uh, just to pick up the phone and, and uh, solve problems and, and um, you know, make it easier for, for their child. It was, it was, you know, telling the coach, hey, he or she is yours now and we won't be involved at all. We're not going to get involved with, you know, decisions about doubles lineups or, you know, what you should be working on in practice. It's completely on you now. We're going to step away. And one coach spoke about, I love the story where um, he said he asked uh, – he asked uh, the player that he was talking about, a player who's developed uh, tremendously during during her college career, and just asked her, "Hey, you know, uh, wh- when are your parents coming to visit?" And she said, "Oh, they're they're coming on this date." And he said, "Oh, it's too bad. We we don't have any matches, or or we're not even training. You know, we don't have practice. Do do they know that?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah, they know. It. There's no interest in coming to see me play or, or or practice. They watch me do that a million times. They just want to come spend some time with me and do some fun things in the area." And it's like, okay, you know, he, he was he was walking away, going, "Wow, these parents have really figured it out." Um, so yeah, I mean, perspective, you know that, and and obviously these parents have. It's not just that they're stepping away at age 18. They're obviously really stepping away, like they're they're no involvement really whatsoever at age 18. But probably throughout their junior years, they just had a perspective. They've not been focused on results. It's just, hey, my my child enjoys this. They have a passion for it. I'm going to support them, uh, you know, the best that I can. But I'm not going to pretend to know that I know what's best for their tennis development or what they should or should not be doing or, um, you know. So it was kind of that was kind of how the, the conversations went with, with coaches and, and some of the things that they were referring to. Did it ever come up when you were talking about the parents where there was a college player whose parent had been their coach? Um, no, no, that didn't come up, but I've experienced that myself. And, um, and it was wonderful because the coach the parent coach was amazing and, and he completely, he completely got it. And he's like, look, I've, I've been her coach for whatever, since the age of four or five or whatever it is. Um, she's yours now, whatever, whatever I can do to help you coach, you, you tell me. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, so maybe I just had a very, very good experience there. I don't know, but, um, no, there was, there, we really didn't get into that at all. It was just that, that these players that developed the most during college were just supported by their parents' regard. They they didn't they didn't call up and say, "Hey, did you did you win this weekend? You know, what was the score? How, you know, why didn't you why didn't you play better? I watched you on video. You know, it was none of that. It right. was more, "Hey, you know, how, how's life in college? How's your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Or you know, how how that test go? Or did you get that project in?" They just they just tennis was just another aspect of their who they were and their identity it wasn't all or nothing right right of the research that you did was there anything that really shocked you 
um, within the research in terms of just speaking with coaches or, mm-hmm. or as yeah. um, no, I mean, that's the thing. There, there was nothing too shocking for me. There was just certain takeaways that I really liked how the, the coaches kind of phrased it. Like one, one coach spoke about how competitive these players were, but how well adapted their competitive nature was that they were willing to lose practice matches. So if they say their number two player, well, the number two player was willing to lose to the number 10 walk on because the coach had told them, okay, you're going to serve volley on every second serve and, or you're going to slice every, every backhand and that these players were willing to do it. And they were willing to lose to the number 10 player uh, you know, by a bad score line to get better so that on match day, they would be as good as they can be. And on match day, these players are just, I don't want to say the word ruthless, but they were, they would win at all, not at all costs, but win within the rules. I mean, they were so determined to get the win for themselves and for the team. And um, so I like the way kind of the coach uh, put that. Um, the other really interesting part that came out was I don't know that it was surprising to me but the way the coaches talked about the relationship with these players and and I I could relate to it completely because I had that relationship with my coach and then I had that relationship with several players where it just it goes beyond it transcends a coach-athlete relationship it's like it is almost like a father-daughter or father-son relationship It, it it's 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 loving you know there there's mm-hmm. there is no doubt that each party has one another's back and that we are going to you know communicate at a really high level we're not going to waste time oh did he or she mean this or gosh you know i i you know i'm worried about what he or she is thinking of me or or anything like that on both sides of the equation it's just that that these players that really developed it's almost like they bought in day one to what the coach was telling them to do, asking them to do. And they just completely gave themselves over like, okay, coach, you know, you told me to do this and this. Now, now what else do I need to do? Um, and so that, that seemed to be a constant theme that it wasn't, it wasn't a transactional relationship, but uh, uh, when the players really buy in and there's great chemistry between the coach and the player, that, that the development you know, is the development opportunities are kind of off the charts. And, and I would, yes, I would nod my head to that as, as a college, a former college coach as well and a former student athlete. So you're saying that these players that, that showed improvement over their college tennis careers not only were working hard on the court and, you know, buying into the coaching philosophy at the program, but also really developed a a personal relationship with the coach, an appropriate personal relationship. Let me just be careful how I say that. Um, but, um, but, but these were players who, for example, would invite their coach to their wedding or to their kid's birthday party in the future. I mean, it's, it's a lifelong relationship like that. that. That's a great way to put it. It's a lifelong relationship. And yeah, these players and and coaches may not see each other for, for many years, but when they do, they fall right back into, you know, it's just like having a, you know, a really close friend or, you know, somebody that you knew years ago that you spent a lot of time with and you just, you know, I, I moved back to Ireland after 18 years and have a bunch of friends back there that I hadn't seen in a long time. And you just kind of, you fall back into uh, how you were as teenagers almost. And, sure. Um, so it's just a really relaxed relationship. Like I said, that, that there's a lot of love on, on both sides. And um, uh, for whatever reason, that seems to be an important ingredient uh, in the development of these players. And, 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 Again, I think if I spoke to another 50 coaches, they, they would say the same thing. And those players in, in my program that, that improved tremendously during their career, yeah, I, I absolutely have that relationship with them. And it's, um, 
yeah, it's it's the best it's the best part of, of being a college coach. I mean, that's that's ultimately why we get into it is to to help these players develop in all aspects of their lives. And um, if you have a, a, a fantastic bond or a lifelong bond at the end of it, even better. Right. And, you know, you say that and we as parents like to think that is true, that that's why coaches get into this career field. Mm -hmm. But we know there are college coaches out there who are there for the wins. I mean, that's their primary purpose is to win. Mm -hmm. And maybe they don't put as much emphasis on those relationships. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's interesting as I'm listening to you, Dave, because as my son was going through college recruiting and as I've talked to other people about this topic and, you know, watched other families go through it, the advice was always don't choose a school for the coach because coaches leave. You have to look at all sorts of factors when you're going through recruiting and make sure that if the tennis, for whatever reason, goes away, that you're still going to be happy at that school. But yet what you're saying that you're finding is that coach really can be a game changer. And so there's a fine line there when when a family is dealing with the recruiting process of, you know, making sure that you choose a school with a coach that you do buy into their coaching philosophy and you do trust and you do feel comfortable with. And if that coach leaves, then hopefully there is a culture that has been created at that school to hire a replacement coach that would be similar in nature. Hmm. Yeah, that that's a tough one, Lisa, for sure. I mean, because, no, I, I think both is good advice. And, it's, you know, coaches do, you know, look, I, I went through it. I left the University of Oklahoma to move back to, to Ireland. And that was really difficult, um, you know, especially for the players that had, had signed and were coming as freshmen, you know, that fall. And, and uh, you know, big reason they came was because of because of me, you know, mm-hmm. and and um, and. So, yeah, that every coach is going to tell you, obviously, they believe they're going to be there for X number of years. And, and sometimes, look, it's out of their control. You know, coaches get fired as well. And and, sure. uh, and um, so that's, you know, and there's absolutely nothing the coach can do about that. But no, I mean, look, it, it, I think I think sometimes um, players and parents do underestimate just how big an influence the coach is going to have, whether that's positive or negative. They're gonna have it because it's it's just daily with the coach. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna be interacting with this individual on a daily basis. Um, you know, their professors or you know that they're they're seeing they they may see for a semester and never see again. And same with other um, you know staff within the athletic department. But the coach they're seeing every day. And and uh, yes, I mean one coach that I, I spoke to in in, in this uh, research study, he spoke about how. You know, players, he's looking for players that will conform to his philosophy. He's not going to conform to a player's philosophy, if that makes sense. And he says there's two types of coaches. There, there's coaches like himself who he's very clear in his philosophy, looking for players that match that philosophy so that they, on day one, can hit the ground running and develop the type of relationship that, that we were talking about earlier. And then there's other coaches who, who you know, will adapt their style to um the player and their needs and and i don't know that one is better than the other um you know it's it just it, it depends on i guess on, on the player and what their goals are and what is it they want to get out of college but i can absolutely tell you that the coach is going to play a huge role in the, the the player's experience and if they get it right it's a magical thing that will you know last for decades and if they get it wrong um, you know, it, it, they're going to end up probably transferring. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. usually what happens, you know. So, um, but it's, yeah, when a coach leaves, then, yeah, like you said, is there a culture there that can at least um, flow on for for at least a couple more years to, to uh, um, allow that player to flourish and hopefully they've developed, you know, relationships with, within their campus and they feel very good about all the other support system they have around them if a coach does leave or gets gets fired or whatever it is. 
Mm-hmm. Well, so what are some of the other findings? Because I don't want to just, you know, talk only yeah, yeah. about about a couple. I, I mean, I think your research is fascinating. And, and I, you know, I do want to say, I mean, based on the presentation that you made in New York, I, I wasn't shocked by anything, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's just nice to see the research back up what you know in your heart to be true. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, no, it's a great way to put it because, yeah, I wasn't expecting to, you know, come with some, you know, amazing, you know, newfangled uh, approach here. It was more, I was interested, okay, what are, what's the language that coaches are using, you know, college tennis coaches, because there's lots of uh, research out there for coaches in all different sports, um, you know, at all different levels. I was interested, I wanted to come up with a piece of research that was specific to college tennis coaches and and the college tennis world um and this was this was long before i i'd, I'd gone down this path of of uh joining the ita so i just got a i've just got a, a genuine interest in this world I, I love it even though i i left the coaching side of it i, I love college tennis and what it, what it can be all about so um yeah so so yeah there's no great surprises here but i think you know something like curiosity like when i re- read other research papers the the um, these research papers don't use the word curiosity this is a word specific to i feel like college tennis coaches or maybe it's just a more modern word maybe if i started interviewing um you know soccer coaches they, they'd use this word curiosity right now because maybe it's just it's just out there a little bit more but um yeah i think curiosity and maturity were were two things so from the curiosity perspective they talked about these players, you know, they think about their game above and beyond the two or three hours they're, they're at the tennis courts on a daily basis, that they come the next day with a, a question to a coach or they'll come and drop by the coach's office and, you know, have a, a larger discussion or maybe want some feedback from matches over the weekend or, um, hey, you know, you said this, is this what you meant? You know, uh, it just... They, they think about the game above and beyond just the few hours they're at the court. And not all players do that. I, 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 can, I can attest to that. They're also very, you know, they're open. You know, they're open to, to learning. You know, change is difficult for, for people. And, and uh, you know, when you come to college, you're being asked to probably change a great deal, um, you know, and, and uh, especially from the coaching perspective and, and now playing for a team, you're not just playing for yourself. And, and change is hard, but again, these players seem to be open to that change. They seem to embrace change. They're not scared of it. They know that it's it's necessary. Uh, you know, it's a necessary pain to go through if they want to get better and uh, achieve their goals. And then they're also willing to experiment. So, you know, I've, I've tied all these words under curiosity, but they're they're willing to experiment. Like I told you, the story of of you know these players' competitive nature that they're willing to lose matches and practice in order to get better and they're willing to just you know um you know coaches will tell stories of hey you know we worked on uh you know a second serve kick serve serve volley play you know for for several months and then i told the player at you know break point down at four all and third set to, to run that play and they did and and you know, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't but the fact that they were willing to do it was just amazing to these coaches that that uh um, that, that because not all not all players are willing to do it. So mm-hmm. the, the curiosity was a big thing, and then the maturity. I mean, that kind of ties in with the curiosity as well. But they were very humble. Um, they were they were patient. So they weren't. They didn't expect. I mean, in today's world, we we just uh, you know we expect things to work out quickly. We expect improvements to be quick. We you know um, you know we kind of lost sight that. There is no quick answers. There's no short-term solutions. Um, everything is a process, and, and these players just seem to be very patient with that process. That they were, they understood that. Hey, yeah, I'm playing six this year, and next year I'm going to be playing four, hopefully, and then the following year maybe I'm playing two, and then by my senior year I'm playing one. And and one coach spoke about how he had coached. I think he had coached eight national number one players, so they were ranked number one. Uh, in the college rankings, in the singles rankings at, at some point in their career. And seven out of those eight players started their career at five or six. 
and that was just amazing to me. Like that was yeah. when you're asking about surprises. Like I, I didn't expect that. You you think those players are coming in and probably starting at two or three, or you know many of them would just be they're they're amazing. They're coming in with a high ATP or WTA ranking, and you know they're starting at that number one position and and uh, getting to to number one in the country. But that wasn't the case, which I, I think is God. That gives so much hope to players out there that you can start at five or six and, and uh, end up being the number one ranked player in, in the country. I mean, that's similar to my story where I, I started at five or six and ended up being ranked as, as high as number three in the double rankings, you know? So it's, right. it, it, it can happen, but these players need to, you know, possess many of these traits. I mean, the other areas around maturity was that they were able to tolerate risk, like we talked about, and, and they were just reliable. You know, they're just you know they're going to show up on time. You know they're going to have all their gear. You know that they're, you know, going to go and, and speak to a teammate who's struggling. Um, you know, you can just, you can vent to them as well almost. You know, if you're struggling with something as a coach, like like they're just they're just mature human beings that, that maybe seem a little uh, older than their years. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think it's important to note too, Dave, that, we're not just talking about players who are on a professional tennis pathway. I mean, these aren't, no, these no. are players that are, you know, college tennis is the pinnacle of their competitive tennis. Mm. And, you know, they're going on into other careers when they finish school. So, I, you know, to me, I think that's important to point out that we're not just speaking about kids coming into college saying, you know, my goal is to be number one in the world as a tennis professional, but there's still for those players who come into college who are willing to do these different things that you're talking about that the coaches pointed out, they can become the best version of themselves in their four years in college and then parlay that into a successful career in some other field if they so choose. Definitely. No, and that that's like I was saying at the beginning, like this could be the, the walk-on who, who ended up on scholarship and, and, you know, had a winning record at the number five or six position. And that that's, that's a huge jump and a huge you know, development that, that these players have gone through. I mean, of the, so I, I asked the coaches to keep a number of players in their head as, as I asked them these questions, you know, that keep, keep in mind several players in your mind that, that improved the most during their college years. And I think, so let's say if, if each coach had in their mind five players, so that's 50 players, I'd say we spoke about three, three or four players that went on to pro careers of say, you know, 40 to 50 players. So mm-hmm. it really isn't, it, I had no interest in, you know, that that's a separate research study. If we want to study, you know, who are these players that have success at the pro level, you know, what, what attributes do they possess? And, and they probably possess many of these attributes. Um, but really it's, it's, um, this was about who improved the most during their college years. I didn't, I didn't care, you know, what what their resume was coming in. It's just how much did they improve during their four years of college tennis. And so and why. why should we care about that? Why is this important yeah. to know? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I, I, I was asked that by my uh, by my advisor as well. And, and uh, I think, you know, I think this can be used – Look, all research should be critically analyzed. There's there's so much research out there, and and I was, you know, my my head was wrecked with all the research papers that I was reading over the last year. But you know, some of them you look at and you go, this okay, this sounds nice, and and maybe you were able to get these results from this small sample size, but it doesn't really, um, you know, extrapolate. And and one of the coaches talked about how you know, coaching is an art, it's not a science. And, and I really like that, that saying that, you know, we can throw all this research that we want at coaches, but really they need to figure out at what times are they implementing those little nuggets of, of uh, wisdom or research. And so the way I see it for college coaches, I, I believe they can use this um, if they are recruiting a player that is, has very similar, look, college coaches, they start with results. 
that that's that you know I get this from from parents and, and players, especially when I was back in Ireland and helping some um, players with the recruiting process, they couldn't quite get quite get past the fact that that interest is only established initially through results. You know, they'll tell me about their son or daughter's, you know, uh, volunteer, you know, achievements and, and how good a student they are. And that's all great. And I tell them, look, interest won't be established on those. Unfortunately, it'll be established on results. And then once once the interest is established, then all those other things become important. So so when coaches see players with, with similar results or similar rankings and they're trying to differentiate between these players, well, if I was a coach, I'd be looking at these these seven themes and, and seeing which players tick what boxes. And you can never be, you know, still risky and there's there's no guarantees that they are thinking, but you just trust your gut on, on are, are these players meeting these, you know, just through observing, are they competitive? Are their parents supportive in the right way? Are they athletic? You know, do I see myself gelling with them and having a, a close relationship with them that will allow for them to, to develop? And then I guess for, for, you know, up and coming um, junior players that want to go down this pathway, just understanding that, yeah, the college scholarship isn't that, that that's not the end goal. There's still many great improvements that can be made throughout their college career. And yes, that doesn't mean necessarily going on for a pro career or anything like it, but it's maximizing their time during their four years of college that they, they can look back on their college career and go, you know what, I got every bit out of myself. I really reached my potential. And their potential might be playing, you know, number six singles in their senior year and, and winning seven matches. But they feel like, wow, I really got better and I really fulfilled my potential. So if they're thinking about how can I continue to get better, then they should be asking themselves, well, do I, do I hold these attributes? And if not, why not? And if not, what am I going to do about it? And then I think for, for junior coaches as well to look at this to just reinforce these messages. I mean, look, I think a lot of them are already talking about these things with their players. I hope they are. Um, but just reinforcing, like, you know, if you want to continue to get better, these are the, these are the attributes, you know, some of the attributes that, that you need to, need to possess. And, mm-hmm. and if you don't possess them, how can I help you work on those things? So I think I'm I'm hoping it can be useful in in some regard, but I'm not holding my breath either. No, I think it's fantastic. And I, you know, I'm, I'm excited to hopefully see this published and, and written about Mm. and utilized by, by, like you said, the junior coaches, but, but also the parents out there to have a clear understanding of, you know, if my child says they want to go to college and get better what are some things that are going to put them in good stead and, you know, mm. better their chances of making that happen. And, yeah. you know, yeah. you're, no, you're sharing I mean, that information with us. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, no, I, I thank you. I mean, I think it will, it, it can be very helpful for parents as well. I mean, I'm a parent of two kids and my, my eldest is 14 and he's probably going to start, you know, the, the soccer recruiting process here in the next year or two. And uh, so I'm kind of looking at this this map, you know, the themes that I have and going, OK, which which boxes do, does he tick here? You know, just out mm-hmm. of interest, uh, sure. because he's, you know, he's closest to me and he's he's about to go through through this process. And, and um, so uh, fortunately, I believe he possesses a lot of these attributes, which is which is really cool for, for him. And I think he'll go on to to, um, you know, accomplish the goals that he's, he's looking to accomplish because because of the fact that he does possess many of these traits. Now, my 10-year-old doesn't possess these traits or as many of them, but uh, my 14-year-old does. But um, that's another story. But uh, <laughs> no, so I, I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping it can be useful for parents. And, and especially like we talked about the, the support of parents that, that trying to, you know, um, trying to still be overly involved, especially when these players um come to college i mean one one other quick story if we have time um, that a coach shared with me like this coach has been in it for decades i mean he's been doing it a really long time and he talked about how you know we were kind of talking about the you know the, the this new generation um you know generation z that is that is entering college now and and the relationship with their phones and the relationship with their parents and and his kind of theory on it was that you know, when, when he and I were in college, so, I mean, I, I, 
I grew up in Ireland. I went to Fresno State in California. I'm, you know, thousands of miles away from home. I didn't have a cell phone. You know, cell phones were a relatively new thing. Um, but if I got into a problem, I had nobody to solve that problem for me. I had to go figure it out. And then hopefully there was people on campus or a roommate or a girlfriend or, you know, somebody who could help me out with that process. And then, you know, I'd find a way to call my parents if, if I really needed help. But it wasn't my first go-to. My first go-to was, I need to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And he's saying now, when, when he has freshmen come or, or any age, really, a problem occurs in college. And the first thing they do is call their parents. And their parent will drop everything. They'll say, okay, you know, Jimmy, okay, you go do this, this, and this. I'll take care of this, this, and this. I'll have your mom do this, and, and we'll, we'll loop back in in 30 minutes, and, and we'll see what we've, what we've got done kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, you're taking that learning opportunity away from, from the kid. And, and look, it's every parent's instinct. They, they want to they help their child, I mean, more than anything. But I think as parents, we need to realize that we're just robbing them of these learning opportunities. Like, I, I, I can't even remember the problems I had in college now, but I know the problems that I did face um, helped me grow. And they, they, that, that was, that was a huge amount of my development, you know, into an adult was just the fact that I had to solve all these problems by myself. And so his theory, I think there's a lot of, a lot of weight behind that theory. And as parents, we just need to be careful when, when we're, we're solving too many, you know, problems for our children. And, uh, I, I, I would love it for parents just to, to let their parent or let their kids fail a little bit more. You know, that I think that would do the world a lot of good. Yeah, I am in 100% agreement with you, Dave Mullins, on that statement. And um, <laughs> certainly, <laughs> you know, have fallen into the trap as well. But, uh, you know, try and catch myself. And even mm-hmm. now that my kids are out of school and adults and, you know, working in, in the world, I mean, I, I am their first call a lot of time. And, you know... My goal now is to be a sounding board and, you know, to listen to them. And, right. you know, if they're headed down a path that I anticipate is is not going to be beneficial to them to ask the questions to get them to realize that it's not the right path rather than <laughs> straight up just saying, <laughs> no, 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 don't go there. <laughs> right. But, right. But it's, yeah. it's tough. So, yeah, yeah it is tough. It to is. all the parents yeah. out there, you know, we all sympathize. We've all been there and and yeah. it's it's the toughest job there is, but hopefully yeah. our kids come out <laughs> okay despite our best intentions, right? <laughs> Not yeah, because of them. Look, yeah, no, we're all trying our best and I remember that with my parents as well, you know, they're just trying their best with, with what they have and and uh but I think there's there's so much information out there. Like my parents didn't have access to the type of information that I have now around parenting and, um, you know, parenting athletes and, you know, growth mindset and all the research that's out there. And it's, it's all out there. So I think the, the, the best thing you can do for your kids is to engage with some of that research, engage with some of the writings out there and just, it'll make you think, you know, the next time you're, you're, you're trying to solve a problem. You might ask yourself, you know, is this a problem that they could solve or do I want them to, wallow in it for a little bit longer before I jump in and, and you know, throw that, that safety vest to them and, and pull them out of it. Because I've just, yeah, I mean, time and time and again, in, in my own life, it's, it's through the, it's through the failure, it's through the pain that, that I've learned lessons from thing are, things are solved for me or, or um, things are easy. I don't really think I'm, I've really got to push myself to grow. You know what I mean? I've mm-hmm. really got to get myself out of my comfort zone to, uh, to develop. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we could we could talk for days about that topic, but it's uh, for sure. Yeah, it's something I think about a lot as as a parent, you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, Dave, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again, and I'm just feel so good about the fact that the ITA has hired you, and you are going to be out there you know, doing your thing, listening to people, engaging with coaches, engaging with players, engaging with parents and doing everything that you can to help the organization serve everybody that, that it can serve and do it in a way that's most effective. So thank you for coming back from Ireland. We're, we're happy to have you. (laughs) Well, it's great to be back. And and thank you, Lisa. No, it's, it's fantastic here. I know you'll be a 
a great resource going forward and, and um, you know, it, it, getting that, that information out as well as, as we start trying to produce some information that will be helpful. I know you're, you're always willing to, to lend a hand and um, please know if, if you have suggestions and ideas as well, please, you know, you're, you're speaking to lots of parents and, and players and coaches, um, you know, on a daily basis. So if there's feedback, you know, I'm, I'm wide open to it. So we, we just want to be better here at the ITA. Fantastic. If people want to get in touch with you, Dave, is your ITA email address the best way to do that? Yeah. So I'm at dmullins at uh, itatennis.com. I've actually just uh, started on Twitter, which uh, (laughs) is... is, um, You're going down a slippery slope, man. (laughs) I've been avoiding it for forever, but... uh, but no, there's, you know, I know it's a good platform to try and, and uh, put some stuff out there, uh, you know, especially in the coach education. So I'm at, I'm at Dave Mullins underscore ITA on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, in the months to come, I'll be, I'll be pushing out more information that I, I hope people will find, um, you know, interesting and, and helpful. But no, if, if people want to uh, get in touch, even if I'll, I'll send you on now that I've submitted um, my, my uh final thesis Lisa I'll send it on to you and then if people want to email me if they want a copy of it you know I'll, I'll uh, send it on to them or uh, you can forward it on um, but I'll, I'll be putting I'll, I'll, I'll be using this research in a number of different ways but there's other there's other things from the research that I want to pull out and, and share with people so um, yeah I hope they'll just kind of check in with the ITA website every so often itatennis.com and check in with my Twitter or send me an email I'm uh, I'm all ears for feedback and, and, and I just, I want to help. I want to help. Fantastic. Well, we'll have links to all of those connections in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So Dave, thanks again for being with us. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out parentingaces.com.